God has declared you to be just before Him. He has justified you. Now, let's get busy about the work of making it reality in your life. So that the way that I live, the things that I say, the things that I do, the person that I am, so that it, it gra growing in a, in a growing fashion uh, be, is becoming more like the way God has declared me to be. Did you follow me in that? I'm not sure I can make it any simpler than that. <laughs> That's what sanctification means. The Holy Spirit is at work in us to sanctify us, to make us like Christ. God has already declared that we are like Christ, but the Holy Spirit's job in sanctifying is to cause us to, in fact, in, re in, uh, in the practicals of life, to be Christ-like. And so Paul says, now, um, let's back up to verse 20 and verse 21 of chapter 5 and, and uh, read what he what he finishes that chapter on justification with. He says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you'll remember that I said that uh, Paul is here... <coughs> giving us the purpose of the law. The law came to show us our sinful condition, to show us how badly we have missed the mark that God has set as the standard of righteousness, to show us very, very clearly how desperately we need a Savior. And it says, where sin abounded, the more sin was evident, the more clearly we saw our sinful and depraved condition, the more clearly we also saw the grace of God. Where sin abounded or, or made, was made known, grace much more abounded. Grace really has very little meaning if there's no sin. And so where sin is manifest, grace is manifested that much more. And so it says that's why the law came, to show us sin. But the law wasn't bad because it showed us sin. The law in showing us sin also glorified the grace or magnified the grace of God. And so Paul is, is giving us the reason for why the law came. Now he anticipates the question that uh, almost everybody asks. Well then, if, if I don't earn righteousness and justification, if my right standing before God is simply a gift that I ask for and receive, and if the more sin is evident, the more grace is evident, well then, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, you know, you've got to admire them for their logic. But it's full of holes. Certainly not, Paul says. How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? He said, for a Christian who has seen the sin and wickedness and depravity of his own life and has reached out and laid hold of the righteousness of Christ and has received justification before the Father, for him to then turn around and continue to walk in the in the foolishness and the mire of sin is as, as silly a thought as for a dead man to be 
uh, walking around and carrying on life as normal. He said, that's ridiculous. When you put them in the ground, they stay there. And he says, so it is that when our sin, and we're going to see him spell this out very clearly, so it is that when our sin is put in the ground, it needs to stay there. And so it's certainly not. How shall we who uh, died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were baptized with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer live, no longer be slaves of sin. Now he says here that in baptism we symbolize what has happened in, in our spirits, in the spiritual realm. We died with Christ. When, when uh, you were baptized in water, uh, might have been in a nice baptistry in a church someplace, it might have been out in the Pacific Ocean, it might have been in the River Jordan, it might have been in Jan's pool, you know. Uh, it might have been out at Ruby Hills Country Club. Might have been at Shadow Cliffs. A lot of the places that we dunk people these days. Doesn't matter the location of it or how much water was used, but it symbolizes something that's happened on the inside of us. That the the old man, the sin man, the sinful wicked man that I was, was buried with Christ and just as Christ rose from the dead the same power that, that uh, rose or raised Jesus from the dead is at work in my life now to, to cause me to walk in resurrected life and so he lays out for us the fact that um, we when Christ died on the cross he died for all of us and not only <clears throat> was it he, he hanging there, but it was me hanging there. And that when he died, he made it possible for that old wicked man that ruled my life to die also. And that when he rose from the dead and con conquered and triumphed over sin and death, he made it possible then for me to rise to newness of life. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says that we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. We're like brand new creatures. The slate is clean. That's wonderful good news. Galatians uh, 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Verse 7, For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now, <clears throat> people get confused sometimes about this whole matter of the old man being dead and being walking in resurrected life. What happens is 
they, they say, yeah, amen. When Jesus died, I died. My old man is dead. Hallelujah. I'm going to live in resurrected life until tomorrow. You know, and then I'll have to die again and get resurrected again. And maybe I'll go a couple more days, but you know, before too long, I'm going to have to die again. And that's the kind of uh, foolish thinking that we live under, mis misunderstanding that we live under. That, yes, my, I died with Christ on the cross, but that old man keeps jumping out of the grave. He won't stay dead on me. Now that's foolish, Paul says. He says if the guy is dead, he's dead. When Jesus died, he died once for all. You, see, you hear him say that? And he says now, he's going to get to show us now how that is so. Practically speaking. But before we can get to the practicals, we have to understand the principle. That if indeed the body of sin that once was Randy Bolt has died with Jesus Christ and is buried with him and that there's a new man with a new name written in heaven that rose with Christ then we cannot let that be undermined by guilt, by condemnation by any such thing Follow me? Understand? Okay. Verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now the word reckon means to take account of, to understand. Um, it doesn't mean like some, some Texans I know who say, I reckon... I think, I hope, maybe so. But to reckon means to take account of, like an accountant. Accountants never reckon in the sense of, well, approximately. Those guys are very detailed. When they, when they make a statement about how many dollars your checking account is short, they mean exactly that amount, you know. And so when it says to reckon it to be so, means to take account of the fact that all this that I've said so far, the fact that you have died with Christ and have been raised with him is the truth. He says, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. He says here that this, uh, this matter of the battle that we wage with this old man who keeps wanting to crawl out of the grave all the time is simply a matter of understanding what Christ has done and then instead of taking the members of our body and presenting them to sin to serve that master 
And this is the part that most Christians don't understand. Is that we don't have to, we don't have to submit our desires, our thoughts, our actions to sin as our master anymore. He's dead. Yeah, we reckon the part about him being dead and about us not having to serve him anymore, but then we, but we fail to realize that we can present our bodies and our, our minds, our thought life, to Christ to serve him and not worry about that guy anymore. He's dead. It says here to uh, present, in verse 13, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. And that word present there is the same word that's used in Romans chapter 12 where it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. So in the same way that we are supposed to come to God and present to Him our bodies as a living sacrifice, what we've been doing instead of that is we've been presenting our bodies to this dead man. And we've been saying, okay, what do you want me to do? And living in sin when we don't have to. And he says, he says here, just recognize that that is a corpse. That old man that you've been serving is dead in Christ. And instead, present your bodies unto God, your minds, your thoughts, unto the Lord to serve Him. It presents a whole other picture of uh, life. Verse 15, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. These people don't seem to catch the point, you know? He finishes his arguments by saying that uh, sin can't have dominion over us because we're not under the law, but we're under grace. And so they take that and they say, Oh, okay, so what you're saying really is that I can keep on sinning because I'm not under law. And, and listen to the logic of this. See, we don't, under, we don't know how uh, people can be restrained from doing wicked things except by the threat of, of legal action. Society says that the only way to make sure that people stay in line is to have certain laws that if they break, there's punishment for. And so we don't understand how to operate in grace. We don't understand that concept, and these people don't either. And so they're not hearing what Paul's saying, and they come back and they say, oh, so what you're saying then is, that's okay for me to keep on sinning because I'm under grace. I'm free to sin. And what Paul is saying is the exact opposite. No, you're not free to sin. You're free to be righteous. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin to death or of obedience to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I like that term, slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness, and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. We can all say amen to that. When we were slaves to sin, 
There wasn't anything righteous about us whatsoever. We didn't worry about righteousness. It was not even possible. We didn't even think twice about righteousness. We were free from righteousness. What fruit did you have then uh, in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. And he's trying to get us to remember now. He said, when you were slaves of unrighteousness, there was no righteousness in you. You were free from righteousness. Then he says, now what fruit did, came out of all that? And we say, well, death. That was a dead-end street. And he says, but now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end is everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. What you earn when you serve sin is you earn death but the gift of God, notice he doesn't say the wages of God because you could never earn what God wants to give you. He says the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now he sets these two things as in contrast to each other to help us to see what he's getting at. First of all, when we were slaves to unrighteousness, there was no righteousness to be found in us. We didn't worry about righteousness because we were serving sin. Right? And the fruit of it, what we earned, was death. Now, he says, you have become servants of God, servants of righteousness, and in the same way, you are free from sin. You don't have to worry about sin. Just like you didn't have any worry about righteousness when you were a sinner, now that you're a righteous man, you don't have to worry about sin. Just, and he's going to go on to say in the next chapter, I believe it is, that... Um, um, the fruit of or that uh, I lost my track here <laughs> got worried about what chapter it was in and forgot what I was going to say but anyway let me go back to what I was saying that uh, righteousness when we serve the uh, righteousness as our master and present our members unto God to serve him Say, God, my life is yours. I want everything about me to glorify and honor you. Sin is out of the picture. We're going to have our failings and we're going to have our stumblings and so forth and so on. But those things don't have to become the pattern of our life anymore because the old man is dead. And we are in a process of being sanctified so that we begin to take on the characteristics of our Master, Jesus Christ. And so he says... Present yourselves to God, serve Him, and He becomes your master. And you won't have to worry about sin. And the fruit of that union, the fruit of that relationship, the fruit of that service is going to be eternal, everlasting life. That's good news, isn't it? If you've been toiling under, uh, under that uh, curse of continual warfare against uh, that old man, if you have felt doomed to live life continually fighting to try to stay righteous or to try to do the right thing. Realize that that old man really doesn't have any power over you that you don't give him. If you don't yield your members to him, he has no power over you. He's no, he doesn't have the right to you anymore. And instead of, of 
living the rest of your time on this earth concerned about trying to stay saved. And you know what I mean by that. Present your, yourself unto God. Understand, reckon that that old man is dead. Present yourselves to God. Begin to concern yourself with his kingdom. And you'll find that that old man is powerless against you.